I'm Tavis Smiley, and I'm delighted to have you tuned into our program today, and especially in this hour, as we uh, uh, uncover for you a hidden figure that you ought to be aware of. Many of us saw that movie, Hidden Figures, when it came out a few years ago, and we were just stunned at all the brilliance uh, of these black women uh, inside NASA. Uh, and there's so many stories just like that, uh, heroes and sheroes. Uh, in American history uh, that uh, remain, again, uh, obscure to many of us. And we want to introduce you uh, on this program as regularly, as regularly, if I can say it, uh, as we can uh, to those persons whose names, whose work and witness you ought to be aware of. And in this hour, uh, we're going to do just that. Uh, the fight for race and gender equality in America has many well-known figures, to be sure. And as I said a moment ago, yet some of these heroes and sheroes of the struggle uh, remain unknown, remain hidden, obscure to most of us. Pauli Murray, that's spelled P-A-U-L-I. If you want to follow along and look it up uh, wherever you may be on a computer on your phone. Her name was Pauli, P-A-U-L-I Murray. And she inspired Thurgood Marshall, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You may not know the name Pauli Murray, uh, but you certainly live in her legacy beyond being first in her class at Howard University Law School and the only woman. Beyond being the first African-American to earn a JSD from Yale Law, that's a Ph.D. in law, basically, from Yale. Beyond being one of the co-founders of now the National Organization of Women. And beyond being the first African-American woman to be ordained as an Episcopal priest, who was Pauli Murray? I'm glad you asked. Rosita Stevens-Holsey is keeper of the flame, as it were, for her auntie and co-author of the book, Pauli Murray, The Life of a Pioneering Feminist and Civil Rights Activist. And she joins us in this hour for the hour on Pauli Murray's birthday. Her aunt's birthday is today, uh, as uh, we were just discussing uh, moments ago. It's Joe Biden's 81st birthday. It's also Pauli Murray's birthday. And I should mention, there is also a documentary called My Name is Pauli Murray, currently streaming on Amazon Prime. I am delighted and look forward to the hour uh, of dialogue with Rosita Stevens-Holsey. Miss Rosita, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you, and thanks so much for inviting me. It is my great honor to have you on. I'm glad we got some time to unpack who your aunt uh, was. Uh, and I, I think I think I, I want to start here. Um, uh, obviously, you are one of uh, one of the uh, family members, and I'm just curious uh, as to how you became, or tell me how you assigned yourself um, to be, <laughs> as I said, the keeper of her flame. How did that part happen? Uh in 2015, my niece, Rhea Aiken, and I went to Durham, North Carolina, to see for the first time, at least my first time, the ancestral home of my family, which uh, was built there in 1898. We had heard through the grapevine that there were some people in Durham who were trying to uplift my aunt's legacy, a legacy that really uh, was kept pretty quiet or was, was non-existent. Mm -hmm. uh, when we got there, it turned out to be uh, feast day, which in the Episcopal Church is the day that Episcopalians celebrate their saints. So I knew that my aunt had been awarded sainthood in 2012. But I was unaware of that particular celebration. That also was a church where my ancestors on my mother's side 
attended and were co-founders uh, of St. Titus Church. So when we got there, everyone there was there to celebrate her, and I actually learned so many more things about her. But what really struck me and what became uh, an almost out-of-body experience was mm. the fact that there were 50 or 60 people there who were there because of their love and respect for her work and because they had been inspired by her in one way or another. So it was quite uh, an impressionable experience on me. And I said to my niece, now, what are we going to do? Here are people who love her, adore her, respect her, have read about her, mm. studied her. And we as family members need to do something. And I decided at that moment it was my obligation and honor to see how I could also promote her legacy. Yeah, that There's is also... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, that is such a, 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 a powerful question. I, I can't begin to tell you uh, the number of folk I've been honored to talk to over the course of my career. And frankly, even the work I've done or tried to do over the course of my career outside of the studio, uh, off the television stage, starts with that question. What am I going to do? To your point, you and your niece, what are we going to do? And I just find that when people are bold enough and brave enough to ask that question, what am I going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? Some strange things can happen. Uh, and uh, it's a beautiful thing that we'll celebrate throughout this hour. Her name is Rosita Stevens-Holsey. She is the niece of Pauli Murray, who you're going to learn a great deal more about as we move through this hour. We were just talking the other day about Bayard Rustin uh, and the, uh, the, uh, the project that's out now on Netflix about his life and his legacy. And now there's something on Amazon Prime uh, about Paulie Murray. I just love seeing all these black heroes and sheroes finally, finally get the respect that they deserve. And we're going to give it to Paulie Murray as we move through this hour on Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically black. Black, black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Helping to, Helping make, to you make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. We're joined by Rosita Stevens-Holsey in this hour. Keeper of the flame for her auntie. Uh, Pauli Murray. She's co-author of the book, Pauli Murray, The Life of a Pioneering Feminist and Civil Rights Activist. And I'm just excited to move through the rest of this hour uh, to introduce you in case you have never heard of Pauli Murray to her, uh, to her amazing uh, work and witness her life and her legacy. Um, and there's a lot to get to <laughs> in this hour. Uh, uh, Miss Rosita, uh, I, I think I, I didn't intend to. I think I cut you off a bit uh, a moment ago when you were uh, finishing up your story about you and your niece uh, asking yourself the question, uh, what are we going to do about it? Finish your story. I'm sorry. I was just going to share that the next day we traveled to our ancestral home building. 1898, and saw the work that was being done on it by a group from Duke University who was named the Pauli Murray Project. And basically what they planned to do was to open a center that would represent the values of my aunt and uplift, uplift her legacy. And I said to my niece at that time, I've been an elementary school teacher I know how important it is for children to see themselves in others and be inspired. And I need to try to write about my aunt. And we decided that would be good. And then I decided that I would take my 
free time and talk about her to anybody who would listen. So since 2015, I've been traveling the country making presentations about my aunt's life work. Mm. And now so many exciting things are happening around the fact that uh, she had so many achievements that were really unknown Mm -hmm. to most people. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, uh, and for those who may have just tuned in, let me just give you a little bit more. And this, trust me, this does not do justice uh, to all that she has accomplished uh, or did accomplish in her lifetime. But she was uh, first in her class at Howard University Law and the only woman, I might add. She was the first African-American to earn a JSD. That's basically a Ph.D. uh, from Yale Law. She was co-founder of NOW, the National Organization of Women. Uh, the first African-American woman to be ordained an Episcopal priest. Um, she was at one point deputy attorney general here in the state of California. The list goes on and on and on. And this is, a, I think, a great segue to this. Uh, in her own lifetime, she wrote her own book. As I mentioned, <clears throat> Rosita Stevens-Holsey, our guest in this hour, is co-author of a book called Pauli Murray, The Life of a Pioneering Feminist and Civil Rights Activist. But her aunt uh, wrote her own memoir, her own book in her lifetime, and that book was called, and you got to love this title. I want to unpack this in just a second here. But the title of her book was Song in a Weary Throat. Song in a Weary Throat. And I want to read a poem. I mean, I say Pauli Murray was all that. She was writing poems and doing all kind of other stuff. Let me just detour. Let me just let me, let me pause for a second. Uh, I've often said, uh, and I consider myself a student of history, there is no doubt in my mind, this is just Tavis, there's no doubt in my mind that the greatest Renaissance man to ever live in this country, black or white, but certainly in black, uh, is a guy named Paul Robeson. It is it is impossible. I, 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 and if you disagree with me, call me and let me know who you got. But there is no Renaissance man that comes anywhere near the stature of Paul Robeson. All that he did, all that he was, all that he accomplished in a variety of fields, Paul Robeson is the ultimate Renaissance man in this country. I have long thought that my Angela, who I knew well, um, was uh, the, the ultimate Renaissance woman in this country. But the more I learned about Pauli Murray, the more I'm going to have to rethink it. I love Maya. Uh, but Pauli Murray accomplished a great deal. And it's not a competition. Uh, don't, uh, don't get it twisted. It's not a competition. I'm just celebrating all that these black men and women were able to accomplish in one lifetime by assigning themselves to do the work and by being disciplined to get it done. So Pauli Murray accomplished so much, but her book was called Song in a weary throat. And here's how she came up with that title. Um, she wrote a poem, and I want to read it to you. I am no Nikki Giovanni. Nikki Giovanni was our guest on this program just a couple of days ago. Where's Nikki when you need her? She knows how to read a poem, much less write one. So I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a poet, but I want to just do my best to read this poem because you need to hear these words. And out of this poem, uh, she pulls the phrase, song in a weary throat. That becomes the title of her memoir. Here's the poem. It's called Dark Testament, verse 8 by Pauli Murray. Hope is a crushed stalk between clenched fingers. Hope is a bird's wing broken by a stone. Hope is a word in a tuneless ditty, a word whispered with the wind, a dream of 40 acres and a mule, a cabin of one's own, and a moment to rest, a name and place for one's children, and children's children at last. Hope is a song in a weary throat. Give me a song of hope, 
and a world where I can sing it. Give me a song of faith and a people to believe in it. Give me a song of kindliness and a country where I can live it. Give me a song of hope and love and a brown girl's heart to hear it. That's rich. That's Dark Testament, verse 8, by Pauli Murray. And her memoir, she titles, Song in a Weary Throat. When you hear that, Rosita Stevens-Hosley, that, that, just that phrase, song in a weary throat, and that she chose to call her memoir by that name, what do you think? What do you hear? Talk to me. I hear how no matter what uh, problems and uh, persecution and negativity that she had uh, experienced in her life, she was a woman who never gave up, who was always inspired, who always went forward, even though she had suffered. And there's so many ways in which uh, persons of those uh, times had suffered, but she personally suffered quite a bit, but she always and never gave up. Mm. Uh, and that is what I hear. And that uh, has been used so many times to uh, express her. And uh, also the, right now is used in a, an exhibit in Chicago, Dark Testament. And on something that I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show, um, it's also a very important song in a weary throat. Some exciting news that we can talk about for 2024. Mm, we'll talk about that. I'm going to let you set that up before we wrap this conversation near the end. We'll talk about uh, what's on the docket for 2024. But let me, let me do this. Uh, before I go forward, let me go backwards. Um, and um, okay. let, me, let me ask you, uh, Miss Rosita, um, to tell us a bit more about her backstory. We've sort of uh, teed up many of the accomplishments we haven't gotten to, and we will. The influence she had on Thurgood Marshall, you have to hear this story. I mentioned she was uh, first in her class at Howard Law, uh, the only woman uh, at the time at Howard Law. And when you hear the story of how she influenced Thurgood Marshall on his Brown v. Board of Education case, again, a story that, that people just don't understand have never been told before. Again, a hidden figure. But she had a huge impact on Thurgood Marshall's thinking, much less his strategy, for arguing Brown v. Board. Uh, Pauli Murray impacted Thurgood Marshall. She impacted Dr. King. She impacted Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We'll get to some of that as we move through this hour. But I think it's important, if I, very quickly, just to detour, pause for a second, or do a U-turn, as it were, uh, pick your metaphor, um, to, to learn more about the backstory of Pauli Murray. So we'll get to the accomplishments, but tell me a bit about her backstory, where she's born, where she's raised. Tell me about her backstory. Certainly. All of her brothers and sisters were born at home in Baltimore, Maryland. And my mother was a year younger than she was. And then there was one other brother who was born. And when Aunt Polly was three, their mother died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Mm. Uh, her mother was a nurse. Her father was uh, a school teacher and a principal. And, of course, you can imagine the turmoil of six very young children losing their one of their parents, especially their mother. 
So <clears throat> there was a sister named Pauline that Aunt Polly had been named after mm -hmm. who came up to try to help the family to decide what to do. And before they, uh, before she went back home, she told Aunt Polly that she had promised her mother that she would take care of her if that's what she wanted. And Aunt Polly had the decision at three years old to decide what she wanted to do, and she decided to go back to Durham, North Carolina with Aunt Pauline. And I think that truly impacted and helped shape her life. Uh, once she went back to Durham, she recognized, even as a young child, differences. Uh, there was Jim Crow in the South that was uh, much stronger and much more prevalent than life in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. She recognized that black people didn't have the same kind of schools. They had to ride on the back of the bus. They couldn't go into restaurants, movie houses, and things of that nature. And she decided that was very unfair. So as a very young child, she understood what being unfair was and also discrimination. Mm. Uh, she used to go to school with her aunt, and she learned to read by listening to her aunt teach first graders because she was just uh, four years old. And I'll skip and just say that she finished first in her class at her high school, <laughs> but she wanted to get out of the South. She wanted to get away from Jim Crow, and her memories were that New York was like a panacea, and so she had decided she wanted to go to Columbia University in New York. So she and her Aunt Pauline set off to um, Columbia, only to find out that Columbia did not uh, allow females in the school. And so she wasn't going to be able to do that. It was suggested she go to uh, Barnard, but they couldn't afford that. So she stayed there and became uh, a New York resident and was allowed to go or able to go to Hunter College mm -hmm. uh, because it was free for females. When she finished Hunter, uh, and she did quite well there, she uh, came out and it was during the Depression. So again, she didn't really have the opportunity to use the four-year degree that she had earned. And so she, you know, did some part-time jobs and what have you. And one of those jobs happened to be um, helping a gentleman named Odell Waller, who was on death row, and the NAACP needed uh, donations so that their attorneys could try to save him from death row. And she was at Virginia Union University talking to a group of ministers and asking them to please donate um, money for that cause when several of the professors from Howard University Law School happened to be there for another reason. And they heard her plea to the group of ministers, and she was approached by Spotswood Robinson and asked, uh, wouldn't she like to go to law school? She sounded like someone who, you know, would do very well working with the law. Mm. And so that is, was the impetus 
of her uh, going to law school. She also realized that a lot of the work she did as a labor organizer would have been more effective if she had some background in the law. And she was very excited um, about going to Howard because she thought she would be with her people, black people, and she would be embraced, whereas she had not uh, been able to uh, go to UNC in North Carolina uh, because she was black. Mm. So she uh, went on to Howard and ended up being the only woman in her class. Now, she was uh, very shocked that as a female, the male students in her class uh, just thought it was silly that she was there. What could she do if she earned a law degree? What kind of jobs could she get? She was not an equal to them. So her first year was pretty rough. Uh, they would not allow her to really participate like the male students. And they also uh, refused to have her go to a smoker where corporations uh, would come to talk to the male students mm -hmm. um, and possibly identify people that they would want, you know, to hire sure. once that they graduated. So sure. she was not afforded that opportunity. Uh, <clears throat> she was a top student in her junior year at law school. And as the top student, she should have been appointed the judge of the peer review and they refused to sit a female in that position. So there was no court practice that year in uh, 1943. Well, when it got to uh, her senior year in law school, she was determined that she was going to show them that she was the best. So when the grades came out, um, she was the top student. That year they decided that they would go on and allow her to be the judge of the court. And um, since she had, again, become the top yeah. student in the class. So before you graduate from law school, you have to do a thesis. Mm -hmm. And her thesis, uh, she wrote and she got her A and, you know, again, was a top student. And she got a Rosenwald scholarship. Traditionally, all of the students from Howard who were the top student and got the Rosenwald scholarship went on to Harvard Law School to do their master's. So, of course, she applied to Harvard. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. As we say, this is getting good. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to interrupt, but I've got a few questions already. I want to know what that thesis was about, number one. And number two, did you just hear uh, Ms. Rosita tell you that even that Howard Law, they just canceled court for a whole year because she was the top student and they weren't going to seat her. So for that, for her second year at, at Howard Law, they just canceled. they just canceled court because they weren't going to see the black woman. Uh, because she was at the top of the class, and she came back and did it again in her third year. I, I, we'll continue. Uh, as I told you, you're learning about Pauli Murray, and there's a great deal more to go. Uh, her niece uh, is our guest in this hour, Rosita Stevens-Holsey on Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley, Smiley. continues when we come forward. Forward, forward. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California.
California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. In case you just tuned in, you are missing uh, a rich, rich hour. And this is why we do a podcast. Um, once this program broadcasts live every day across the country, uh, we strip all the commercials out and we post it as a podcast. You can go to the thetavismileyshow.com at any point in time, thetavismileyshow.com, to listen to the podcast of this program. And this is one you are going to want to hear from beginning uh, to end if you uh, are just now joining us. Uh, we're, we're, we're enlightening you and empowering you uh, and inspiring you in this hour with the story of Pauli Murray. Uh, amazing black woman, uh, a shero to many, uh, but uh, for many, her name has remained obscure, unknown until now. Uh, there is a documentary currently streaming on Amazon Prime called My Name is Pauli Murray. Uh, our, our guest in this hour is uh, is the niece of Pauli Murray. Her name is Rosita Stevens-Holsey. She is the keeper of the flame for her auntie, and she has co-authored a book called Pauli Murray, The Life of a Pioneering Feminist and Civil Rights Activist. And if that's not enough, Pauli Murray wrote her own book in her lifetime. It's called Song in a Weary Throat. So at best in this hour, all I can do is whet your appetite uh, to learn, uh, want to learn more. As the movie Hidden Figures made us all want to learn more about those sisters at NASA, uh, I pray this conversation will whet your appetite to learn more about Pauli, spelled P-A-U-L-I, Pauli Murray. Uh, Wetting your appetite, uh, but you can do the research yourself or watch the documentary, read the books to learn more about this great black woman who inspired Thurgood Marshall and Dr. King and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and so many others. Uh, and like Baird Rustin is finally getting his respect, like James Baldwin over the last year, last decade or so, James Baldwin finally getting his respect, Pauli Murray is starting to get the respect that she deserves, and I'm glad about it. Uh, Miss Rosita, I'm watching my time. is getting away from me. A couple things right quick. One is you've been, okay. t- you've been telling this story so beautifully. I, I thought, and I was saying, to, uh, saying during the break, that uh, it's amazing to hear the story of her mother passing away from a cerebral hemorrhage when she was three, going down to Durham to live with uh, Aunt Pauline, being in that room where the Howard uh, Law uh, personnel were and inviting her to come to Howard Law. She goes to Howard Law. She graduates number one in her class, the only woman in her class. But I was thinking about how God puts us in the right place at the right time. So much right of time. so much of all that she endured had to do in part with her being in the right place at the right time. Uh, as we say around here, won't he do it? Won't he will? Uh, and she's in the right <laughs> place at the right time in so many ways. All right, all right, so watching my time, let me ask you right quick, what was that thesis about at Harvard, at, at Howard? All right, it was about uh, Plessy Burgess, uh, versus Ferguson mm-hmm. uh, should it be overruled. And Plessy versus Ferguson was a part of the Jim Crow sure, laws sure. where instead of people in the South, including blacks, being equal to whites, they were provided, quote, unquote, separate but equal opportunities. So there would be one hospital for a white person and another one for a black person. And as long as both sides or both groups had it, they were considering that uh, equal. But, you know, Separate is never equal. So the hospitals that black people had to go to, the schools that they had to go to, uh, oftentimes they couldn't even go in restaurants. But if they were in restaurants, they had to sit in the back by the kitchen. Or if they were in the movie house, they could only sit in the balcony balcony where there was no bathroom and those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. So uh, she felt that the 14th Amendment should uh, supersede that and that all people should have yeah. the same so, human rights. 
So, so in her in her third year, after she's bested all these black males, she's been number one basically since she got to Howard Law. Uh, in her second year, they cancel court uh, because they don't want to seat her because she's number one in the class. In her third year, she comes back and does it again. She's beating all the boys again. She's topping her class in her third and final year at, 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 at Howard Law. And how do they treat her in her final year at Howard Law? Well, they, I would say, put up with her. Mm-hmm. Okay. They allowed her her due intellectually. They could not de- deny that she was topping her class. Sure. Uh, but no one could really help her get into Harvard. Actually, she had become friends with Eleanor Roosevelt, and President Roosevelt had attended Harvard, and he even wrote a letter for her. And they said, no, that was their rule. And so she was denied that. And eventually she uh, ended up getting her master's from uh, the Boat Law School in Berkeley, Mm -hmm. in California, Mm -hmm. where she continued to uh, thrive and, uh, as you mentioned, became the first uh, deputy secretary. uh, um, W. Attorney General, General. yeah, Yeah, deputy AG, yeah. yeah. Mm Yeah. First time. Yeah. Um, again, she, she she accomplished so many so so many first. And again, I can't do justice to all that she accomplished. But I want to start throwing some names at you and let you tell some some quick stories here about uh, how she inspired these persons. Let me start with Thurgood Marshall. I sort of teed this up a moment ago uh, when I mentioned that um, in his argument, uh, Brown v. Board, historic argument, uh, Thurgood Marshall relied on uh, a little help from 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 Pauli Murray in that regard. Tell the story right quick about how she influenced Thurgood Marshall. Uh, well, that's true. She did, um, well, actually, they actually used her senior paper from law school as the core and the basis, the very epicenter of their uh, fight before the Supreme Court, which, mm-hmm. as we all know, uh, turned over segregation in board versus the uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, which changed the landscape in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was unaware at the time that the NAACP, led by Thurgood Marshall, had actually used her work. <laughs> and it wasn't until about 10, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. She didn't get any credit for it. Her name was not on the brief. Yeah. And and she found out because before she left uh, school, she had posed uh, a bet with her professor that uh, Plessy Burgess Ferguson would be overturned, Mm -hmm. which was the basis of her thesis. Mm -hmm. And she said within 25 years and 10 years after she graduated, it was overturned and um, 54. And mm. so, uh, she was awarded the $10 that she had bet. <laughs> and that is how she found out. Uh, and by the way, nobody has chosen to add her name to the brief mm. as well, but, but it is coming out. It was in, uh, the movie Marshall 
And uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has talked about her yeah. and her legal theories. So uh, the world is finding out. No, the world is finding out. And that's why I'm so honored to have you on this program uh, uh, in this hour. We've got another 15 minutes to go, and I want to cover some more ground. But imagine uh, you're at, at Howard Law. You're the only woman. You're besting all the boys in your class. They don't want to respect you. and It, it ends up being your paper written at, at, at Howard, that, that Thurgood Marshall and team end up using as uh, part of the epicenter of their argument on the case, the historic case of Brown v. Board. This is why I love these hidden figure stories. I, again, I believe it's my mission uh, to bring you as many of these stories as I can to make sure that you are aware of these heroes and sheroes in our nation's history uh, who remain, again, obscure to so many of us. That's Thurgood Marshall. We'll talk about Dr. King. You heard him mention Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, prior to her passing. Uh, Ruth Bader, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, often talked to Pauli Murray and gave her some respect. Uh, and so there are people who are learning more about her legacy. And there's a great deal more for you to learn when we come forward with her niece, Rosita Stevens-Holsey, on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Rosita Stevens-Holsey, who is the keeper of the flame for her auntie, Pauli Murray, uh, who we've been learning a great deal about in this hour. There is some breaking news, and the irony of this breaking news is that it ties in, interestingly, to what I wanted to ask and will ask uh, Miss Rosita about here in just a second. Uh, we were talking about the impact that she had on her workout on Thurgood Marshall and uh, what she wrote at Howard in part was used uh, during the Brown v. Board case, argued by Thurgood Marshall and that great team uh, before the United States Supreme Court. Um, I want to ask her in a moment, and I will, <clears throat> about the influence and the impact she had on Dr. King. As many of you know, Dr. King is my hero. I often refer to him as the greatest American this country has ever produced. That's my assessment. King is my hero, and King fought valiantly, along with many, many others, of course, for the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act to be passed during the era of Lyndon Johnson. Here now some breaking news. Brace yourself for this. A federal court has just ruled, while I'm having this conversation, they've just ruled uh, to drastically weaken the Voting Rights Act. Reading now from the New York Times, reading from the New York Times right now, uh, fresh off the wire, a federal appeals court today issued a ruling that would drastically weaken the Voting Rights Act effectively barring private citizens and civil rights groups from filing lawsuits under a central provision of the landmark law. The ruling just delivered moments ago by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. The opinion is most certainly going to be appealed to the Supreme Court. Uh, but, you know, it's going to happen when it gets there. Right. Uh, this court's uh, current conservative majority has issued several key decisions in recent years that have weakened already the Voting Rights Act. Uh, here's why it's so significant, because the Court of Appeals finds that the text of the Voting Rights Act did not explicitly contain language for a private right of appeal or the right of private citizens to file lawsuits under the law. What that means is that the court uh, knows uh, this court knows that these suits oftentimes for violation of voting rights are brought by private citizens and organizations like the one that Thurgood Marshall ran, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. These cases are often brought most often brought by private citizens whose rights to vote have been denied and by organizations representing them. And what this ruling suggests is that private citizens and organizations can no longer sue for voting rights violations. That happens in the middle of this conversation. 
about Pauli Murray and all the work she did on civil rights and, and voting rights and Thurgood Marshall and Dr. King. So go figure. Uh, but uh, the fight continues all these years later. We're just discovering the legacy of Pauli Murray. And on the day uh, where we have this conversation, we get another decision by another uh, federal court further weakening the Voting Rights Act. Any quick thoughts about that, Miss Rosita, before I move on? Oh, I think Aunt Polly would just be horrified yes. at what you just shared, not to mention the things that have been going on for the past four to five years. Yeah. This is uh, just devastating. Mm-hmm. What would you? Absolutely. What, no, it is devastating. I I I, I hated even read it. I mean, it, I mean, it came across my phone, but I. It's my job here to, to, to let the audience know what's happening in real time. And so the timing couldn't be more interesting. Uh, uh, but um, I digress on that for, for now. Trust me, we'll be talking about that tomorrow in greater detail on this program. Let me ask you right quick. Um, what was her influence, uh, would you say, on Dr. King? Uh, well, it was very significant. One, one thing I do have to share that women who were involved in the struggle, even working with uh, Dr. King were usually in the background. Mm-hmm. So most people did not know about them. And even when, though, Aunt Polly did quite a bit of the operational uh, legal theory part of it in terms of writing and also in terms of briefing others. But when they had the March on Washington in 63, uh, the women were in the background. That's right. So they weren't visibly, you know, marching, nor were they on the stage. And that, I think, was un, un, um, unfair, but that's what, um, you know, yeah. he, he organized and the way in which he ran it. And women were often in the background. That's one of the reasons why she sought to start the organization, which is uh, the National Organization for Women, mm-hmm. so that women would have an organization that was just focused mm-hmm. on their special needs. No, she wasn't. She wasn't. Yeah, she was. She wasn't just a legal theorist. She was about uh, institution building, and the organization now, the National Organization for Women, is still ongoing all these years later. But Pauli Murray was one of its founders precisely for the reason that her niece, Miss Rosita, just laid out. Our remaining moments with Rosita Stevens-Holsey talking about the legacy of Pauli Murray when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Rank number 45 on the heavy 100 list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Sounds Sounds different. different. Huh. This this is Tavis Smiley. I've only got two and a half minutes left in this conversation. Uh, Never enough time to do justice to her legacy. Let me just say right quick, though, speaking of all the first, President John F. Kennedy appointed Pauli Murray. Uh, JFK appointed her to the Committee on Civil and Political Rights as part of his presidential commission on the status of women. In the early 1960s, uh, Pauli Murray worked closely, of course, with A. Philip Randolph, Byron Rustin, uh, Dr. King, but was critical of the way, as you heard her her niece say a moment ago, critical of the way uh, that men dominated the leadership of these civil rights organizations, hence she founded now. In August of 63, in fact, she wrote a letter to A. Philip Randolph asserting that she had, and I quote, been increasingly perturbed over the blatant disparity between the major role which Negro women have played and are playing in the crucial grassroots levels of our struggle and the minor role of leadership they have been assigned in the national policy making decisions, close quote. That's Pauli Murray talking to the to the leader 
A. Philip Randolph, she did not hold her tongue. and She stood up for black women all across the country. I've only got 90 seconds left, Miss Rosita. I'm sorry for that. But tell me the exciting news about what you're doing in 2024 to continue expanding her legacy. In 2024, Polly Murray will be on the women's quarter. Yeah. There will be five women who were selected and her quarter will come out first in 2024. And on the quarter, uh, we'll uh, have Song in a Weary Throat. That's mm. a part of it. It's one of the most unusual designs I've seen. And we're just so excited. I'm absolutely over the, mu- the moon with excitement uh, that she has... Uh, Earned this, yes, and I think it's a testimony to all that she did throughout her life. And it's a testimony to your being the keeper of her flame. Her name is Rosita Stevens Holsey. Um, she is the niece uh, of Pauli Murray. Uh, she's co-author of the book. Pauli Murray, The Life of a Pioneering Feminist and Civil Rights Activist. That poem that I read earlier is called Dark Testament, verse 8 by Pauli Murray, if you want to find it online somewhere. Pauli Murray's book is called Song in a Weary Throat. Uh, The documentary streaming right now on Amazon Prime is called My Name is Pauli Murray. And the Pauli Murray Quarter is coming out in 2024, uh, emboldened with that phrase, Song in a Weary Throat. Uh, Ms. Rosita, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for your work and witness. Thank you for educating us about your auntie, uh, Pauli Murray. We thank you and wish you all the best. When we come forward in our third and final hour today, my man, Gregory Porter on Tavis Smiley.